Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress. I'm John Fugel saying welcome to Channel 127. Thank you to the great Dino Badala, as always, for being such an excellent lead-in. We got a great one tonight. Oh, man, is it a good one. Oh, wow. Uh, tonight, we're going to be joined by one of the best journalists in the business, Brian Karam, who's been a foreign correspondent and a White House correspondent for Playboy. He is an expert on all things related to the Middle East and uh, related to our Congress. And boy, has it been a busy week in both. We're also going to have a brand new visit with our friend Ken Burns, one of our finest filmmakers, one of the best documentary makers in American history. Uh, his new movie is... It's not like anything he's ever done. And he's been here in the last couple of films he's made. He stopped by for the Ben Franklin movie and the Muhammad Ali movie. My God, was that good. And last year, of course, he released uh, America and the Holocaust. And I didn't think he could make a film anywhere near that level of power. But his new movie for PBS, The American Buffalo, is unlike anything you have ever seen before. It is on the surface, the story of The American Buffalo from well before white men showed up on these lands up until modern times but it's really all about people and how very different tribes of people indigenous and european treat the land treat nature and how sometimes uh we can learn things sometimes a little too late sometimes a little before it's too late this is a movie that my wife had to get up and walk out on because the first part of it was so upsetting and the second part is one of the most inspiring moving things he's ever done i'm really thrilled to bring you this interview with ken burns there's a total solar eclipse sliding across the United States tomorrow. It's going to be most visible in a swath covering the West uh, and Desert Southwest. Kaiser Permanente and the unions have reached a tentative agreement one week after the strike. There's a lot of bad news. There's a lot of good news. Let's uh, let's do a show. Chris Hauselt is our executive producer. Thea is running this beast out of Brooklyn. I come to you from Los Angeles. And later on tonight, I'll be doing the Lenny Bruce birthday tribute show uh, right here in L.A., and by here in L.A., I mean uh, Bellflower, which is a little bit outside of L.A. 
but that's where I'll be going later on tonight. But it's okay because I brought my East Coast time zone, so I'll be passing out before I get on stage. Okay, the big show, the sexy liberal comedy tour with Stephanie Miller. We're doing one date the entire year. Every year we, we do several. Some dates we do. Some years we do a lot. This year, only one. It's an off-off election year. That will be Saturday, October 21st at the beautiful and legendary Saban Theater in Beverly Hills. It's a gorgeous venue. Stephanie Miller, Hal Sparks, Frangela, myself, and our special guest for the panel will be uh, Rob Reiner. Um, He's done it a couple times in the past. Um, Also, appearing for the first time, Ron Perlman. Hellboy himself will be joining us on stage. I can't even imagine what that's going to be like. And a couple of other special guests that we're not allowed to announce yet. Oh, and Glenn Kirshner will be there as well. He's flying in just for it. Okay, I think we're all set. Uh, Oh, I forgot to say, if you can't make it to L.A. next Saturday, you can see the show from your own home on your own computer or smart TV. It is going to be a pay-per-view, and you can go to meathook.com slash live to look up The Sexy Liberal Show, or go to sexyliberal.com and uh, get all the information. It's like 20 bucks. It is the biggest political comedy show of the year. It's going to be a riot, and I, it's crazy to do this tour with these people, and we only do one show the whole year. I can't wait to see what everybody else's material is. I'm stealing all of mine from my old blue-collar comedy tapes. Okay. After Steve Scalise dropped out last night as the Republican nominee to be Speaker of the House, today was Jim Jordan's turn to see if he could do any better. Today was Jim Jordan's big day to get those 217 Republican votes. And it turns out 55 Republicans said they would not vote for Representative Jim Jordan for House Speaker, no matter what. He was not good enough for 55 House Republicans. And so the House GOP did the most responsible thing they could. Uh, They took off for the weekend. Yeah. Meanwhile, Israel's ground invasion of Gaza is imminent. Two Israeli officials said earlier today, last night, while we were on the air, Israel warned the U.N. to evacuate the northern Gaza Strip, home to more than one million Palestinians, half of whom are children, but they have nowhere to go. And one of the goals of Hamas seems to be working. Saudi Arabia has now paused diplomacy to normalize their ties with Israel due to the violence between Hamas militants and Israeli forces. This was something that Joe Biden was working very hard on in his White House and other nations as well. But of course, Hamas is doing exactly what bin Laden did. A disgusting, despicable massacre of innocent people with the hopes it would create more chaos. And it is creating more chaos. Donald Trump is saying things right now that would disqualify any sane person from ever holding public office, and yet he still has a 50-point lead in the GOP race. It is all chaos. This disgusting attack by Hamas is being used by Vladimir Putin to distract from his genocidal invasion. It's being used by Trump to distract from his seven criminal trials. It's being used by Netanyahu to distract from his historic corruption and trying to rig the courts. And it's being used by the Republican Party to distract from their complete inability to govern. Guys, keep your eyes on the chaos agents. Now, earlier today, President Biden said he had spoken with the families of Americans who are held hostage by Hamas, promising to do whatever is necessary to secure their freedom. This morning, I spoke with the family members of all those Americans who are still unaccounted for on a Zoom call for about an hour and a 10, 15 minutes. They're, they're going through agony, not knowing what the status of their sons, daughters, husbands, wives, children are. You know, it's gut-wrenching. I assured them my personal commitment to do everything possible, everything possible to return every missing American to their families. We're working round the clock to secure the release 
of Americans held by Hamas in close cooperation with Israel and our partners around the region. We're not going to stop till we bring them home. It looks like Israel is about to begin a very aggressive campaign and a very long campaign and a very violent and bloody campaign in Gaza. It's going to be awful. And some progressive lawmakers are urging the White House to lean a little more heavily on Israel to try to observe international law. The leader of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, along with dozens more lawmakers, wrote to Joe Biden and Secretary of State Antony Blinken. They sent a letter today asking if they could push Israel to follow international law and for the U.S. to do anything to help establish some kind of humanitarian corridor as this war escalates, because it's going to keep on going and it's going to keep on getting worse. These demands come as Israel has ordered more than one million Palestinians to move south. And the U.N. is saying that is not possible. Here's Joe Biden again today saying the safety and security of Palestinian citizens in Gaza are one of his top priorities. It's also priority for me to urgently address the humanitarian crisis in Gaza. At my direction, our teams are working in the region, including communicating directly with the governments of Israel, Egypt, Jordan, and other Arab nations and the United Nations to surge support and humanitarian consequences for Hamas attack to help Israel. You know, we have to we can't lose sight of the fact that the overwhelming majority of Palestinians had nothing to do with Hamas and Hamas's appalling attacks and they're suffering as a result as well. You know, if Hamas actually cared about the people of Palestine, you know what they do right now? They'd release every hostage. They could do it. Go on fighting, go on hiding, go on doing what you guys do. But if they cared about the people they claim to represent, they would release every hostage right now. Now, I know if you're like me, you're wondering, okay, all this uncertainty in the Mideast, all this violence, um, I'm dying to know, what, is, what does George W. Bush think about all of it, right? Right? What, you're, you're not? Well, guess who came out of his hole showing off his paintings? Bush warned that this ground offensive in Gaza is going to be ugly for a while. You know, I don't miss the disgust I felt at George W. Bush every day, and I will go to my grave saying he was a worse president than Donald Trump. Donald Trump's a worse person. George W. Bush, yeah. So Bush called himself kind of a hardliner, and he said that he thinks there'll be a temptation for uh, the public to buckle and think peace is an option. Bush said, it's not going to take long for people to say it's gone on too long. Surely there's a way to settle this through negotiations. Both sides are guilty. My view is one side is guilty, and it's not Israel. That's George W. Bush talking about the virtue of sending someone else's kids to fight and die for a long extended period of time. I'm glad he came out of his hole to remind us of this because, um, you know, there, there's been a lot of uh, right wing Christians coming out this week and saying, you know, these Muslims, these these terrorist Muslims, Christians don't do this. Christians don't do this. Christians don't strap bombs on themselves. Christians don't slaughter innocent civilians. <laughs> and um, some folks have brought up the Crusades. I, I don't bring up the Crusades. I bring up George W. Bush, who said God told him to wage his illegal, amoral war on a smaller country that never attacked us. George W. Bush, who said on the eve of the Iraq war, and I'm quoting him directly, God will not be neutral. But, you know, our right wing Christians don't really find it so terroristic when you're slaughtering civilians by drone bombs or dropping bombs from planes, you know the civilized way. Here is Secretary of State Antony Blinken, who said today that Hamas is hindering the delivery of humanitarian aid. Efforts to get humanitarian aid into Gaza are complicated by the fact that 
Hamas continues to use innocent civilians as human shields and is reportedly blocking roads to prevent Palestinians from moving to southern Gaza out of harm's way. We know the humanitarian situation is urgent. We're actively engaged with partners, including Qatar, to get aid to those who need it. Let's bring it closer to home, because Jim Jordan kind of hit a wall today. He thought this was his moment. He ran against Scalise. He lost against Scalise. So Scalise dropped out, right? That's how it is. That's how crazy this is. The guy who won dropped out yesterday. Today, the guy who lost ran and won and still lost. <laughs> because there was a, this little-known congressman from Georgia, Austin Scott. He jumped into the race today um, about an hour before the vote. He just said, well, uh, why not me? And you know what? He did pretty well. He did so well, it looks like Jim Jordan is never going to find a way to be Speaker of the House. He's never going to get to 217. It's just not going to happen. 55 Republicans said they would not vote for Jim Jordan, who once again is Donald Trump's top pick. This is very much a rebuke of Donald Trump. So it's unlikely any Republican right now can get the 217 votes needed to win a Speaker election. I mean... (laughs) Austin Scott's a former insurance broker. He just jumped into it randomly. And Jim Jordan beat him, but it was 124 to 81. I mean, 81 people voted against Jim Jordan. He only got 124 votes. How is he ever going to get to 217? Just like the hardliners in the Republican House conference would not back Steve Scalise because he wasn't racist enough, the moderates will not back Jim Jordan because he's too crazy. It's not going to happen. They have no one. I'm going to talk to Brian Karam about this later in the show, but Scalise supporters feel that Jordan was disingenuous and has offered to help sway conservatives to back him. They're all lying to each other. They're all backstabbing each other. What do we always say here? When it's a cult of selfishness, don't be surprised when people who are selfish and have a platform that celebrates selfishness as a virtue and sells selfishness to the voters as a good thing, don't be surprised when they all turn on each other. Jim Jordan's 65 votes away from the 217 he needs, and 55 has said they will never vote for him. And I don't think Donald Trump's going to be able to turn on the charm and persuade him. These are grown adults. I mean, at some point, the House Republicans are going to have to sit down with Democrats and pick a consensus speaker. And Hakeem Jeffries is available, guys. Why wouldn't they want Hakeem Jeffries to be Speaker of the House? They'll still control everything. They're still the majority. Hakeem Jeffries will be so hated they can fundraise off of him. But... Being that these are Republicans, they did the thing they like to do the most at work, which is not work. You know, what's the difference between undocumented immigrants and the Freedom Caucus? Undocumented immigrants want to work, but the House GOP went home for the weekend without electing a speaker again. It's going to be two weeks of this. Here's this afternoon at the Capitol. GOP House Caucus nominated Jim Jordan to be their speaker. Here's uh, Representative Tim Burchett with the scoop. Is the conference ready to elect Jim Jordan? Very close, very close. I, but there's there's still some holdouts that I understand, and they need to be talked to individually. Yeah, uh, it was not very close. There's 55 holdouts. You're not going to persuade them. So into the fray comes Hakeem Jeffries, who gave a speech today. Man, I can wait for this guy to be speaker, but I will enjoy it when the day comes. Here is Hakeem J on Jim J. Have just elected a speaker nominee who in 16 years in this Congress hasn't passed a single bill because his focus has not been on the American people. 
His focus has been on peddling lies and conspiracy theories and driving division amongst the American people. Boom. Yeah. So, <laughs> meanwhile, I want to play this little clip. clip. Brian Mast, Republican from Florida, Representative, he got a lot of hype today because he wore his IDF uniform into the House. He said he's wearing this as a challenge to Rashida Tlaib because she obviously is not a fan of the Israeli civilian government. So he wore it in there because he actually served. But here's the thing. He's he's not Israeli. He's not Israeli American. He's not even actually Jewish. He's an evangelical Christian who volunteered for the IDF 10 years ago. Give a listen. What's with your threats today? Can you tell us anything about those? Shalit's got her flag. I've got my uniform. I've got my uniform. Uh, nobody tell this guy what Donald Trump says about Jews who have dual loyalty. And speaking of Trump, did you know that he's been walking around bragging, saying that Israel has never had a better friend in the White House than him? This would have never happened if he was president. And he said Israeli intelligence should have done more to anticipate the attack. And then he couldn't stop calling Hezbollah. That's the Iran-backed Lebanese group that is joining the fight, or at least trying to. He called them very smart. Our friends at Midas Touch put together a little reel of shit Donald Trump said in his speech two nights ago that would disqualify any sane person from ever holding public office. I want you to listen to Donald Trump attack Benjamin Netanyahu, completely attack and insult Israel's defense minister, and praise Hezbollah. I'm not making this up. Give a listen. You know, Hezbollah is very smart. They're all very smart. The press doesn't like when they say it. But Hezbollah, they're very smart. I'll never forget that Bibi Netanyahu let us down. That was a very terrible thing. I will say that they've got to straighten it out because they're fighting potentially a very big force. They're fighting potentially Iran. And when they have people saying the wrong things, everything they say is being digested by these people because they're vicious and they're smart. And boy, are they vicious because nobody's ever seen the kind of sight that we've seen. But they cannot play games. So we were disappointed by that, very disappointed. But we did the job ourselves, and it was absolute precision, magnificent, beautiful job. And then uh, Bibi tried to take credit for it. That wasn't good. That didn't make me feel too good, but that's all right. So they got to strengthen themselves up. And they said, gee, I hope Hezbollah doesn't attack from the north because that's the most vulnerable spot. I said, wait a minute. You know, Hezbollah is very smart. They're all very smart. The press doesn't like when they say it. You know, I said that President Xi of China, 1.4 billion people, he controls it with an iron fist. I said, he's a very smart man. They killed me the next day. I said he was smart. What am I going to say? But Hezbollah, they're very smart. And they have a national defense minister or somebody saying, I hope Hezbollah doesn't attack us from the north. So the following morning they attacked. They might not have been doing it, but if you listen to this jerk, you would attack from the north because he said that's our weak spot. There you go. Uh, that's just a few clips from the same speech. Notice the crowd didn't cheer for any of that. Notice, uh, I know Donald Trump doesn't drink, but uh, I want to, I don't care about seeing his taxes. I want a full list of his meds. Who run that guy? You know, I've actually thought Trump has been a bit more disciplined on this campaign so far. He seems to be sticking to his script on the prompter a bit much, but not this time. There it is, Democrats. Trump always praises monsters. He attacked Netanyahu. 
He attacked the Israeli Defense Force. He praised Hezbollah. And you shouldn't be surprised, because just last Thanksgiving, at his retirement home in Florida, he dined with a Nazi and complimented a real, bona fide, 100-proof Nazi. Israel can't trust him, and neither can you. There, Democrats, I wrote your ad. Uh, Finally, just a little bit of sanity from the Israeli military. This is in the New York Times. It's from an article by Nir Aviashai Cohen, who was an IDF reservist, and he was heading from Austin, Texas, to go fight with the IDF on the front line. The column is in the Times this weekend. It's called, I'm Going to War for Israel. Palestinians are not my enemy. And I want to leave you with this before our break. Mr. Cohen writes, I am now going to defend my country against enemies who want to kill my people. Our enemies are the deadly terrorist organizations that are being controlled by Islamic extremists. Palestinians aren't the enemy. The millions of Palestinians who live right here next to us, between the Mediterranean Sea and Jordan, are not our enemy. Just like the majority of Israelis want to live a calm, peaceful, and dignified life, so do Palestinians. Amen from this Gentile, sir. Quick break. We'll be right back with your calls. And the great Brian Karam is back. This is Sirius XM Progress, live from L.A. Don't go away. Hi there. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hey everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on, because you know I love it when you do. And we are back at 866-997-4748. Remember, in the next hour, I'm joined by Ken Burns to discuss his incredible new film, The American Buffalo. It is one of the best movies ever made about American people. And Thea Harper is back with another installment of Theoretically Speaking in hour number three. Right now, before we get to your calls, I'm so pleased to welcome back one of our favorite guests. Brian Karam is an award-winning investigative reporter, writer, producer, veteran, best-selling true crime author, former correspondent for America's Most Wanted, former White House Press Corps correspondent for Playboy. Brian was presented with the National Press Club's Freedom of the Press Award after he was jailed for protecting a confidential source. Catch his podcast. 
just asked the question, we are always thrilled to welcome Brian Karam back to SiriusXM. Intro. <laughs> I got to put it on my resume. <laughs> yeah, your resume is pretty impressive, sir. How 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 are you? And uh, you know, when this week began, I thought I thought it was going to be John Lennon's 83rd birthday. We'd be playing Beatles songs all week, and instead, I started uh, it out has that been way. one of one of the most painful <laughs> weeks of this decade. Um, yeah. L- l- let me start with just uh, with with Congress. Um, it's okay. now been what eleven days since our House of Representatives has had a speaker. Are you counting the McCarthy era? Or are you just saying <laughs> since he's been removed? <laughs> I'm, I mean, you can yeah, be since, talking about either or both. <laughs> you're very right. Well, yes, yeah, since since the since the removal of uh, of, of, you know, human like oh, uh, McCarthy. McCarthy yeah, it's been ten, about 10 days, 11 days. Yeah. Um, I mean, how unprecedented is this? Can, can you can, well, could we have ever imagined a scenario where the Republicans were too busy hating each other? Instead of hating Democrats, to pick oh, a but leader? I'm here for every bit of it, John. Just <laughs> so you won't have to be spending the time <laughs> down in D.C. wondering what the hell happened to my misbegotten youth that I'm stuck here in Congress having to listen to morons I wouldn't invite to my neighborhood barbecue. That's 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 how it feels down there. How you doing? <laughs> yeah, you know the the thing about this is I know that there's a lot of Republicans in the House who are uh, mature. Conservatives I can't who uh, are above the fray, and I say, screw them. They built this too. You know, they well, they all took advantage of Trumpism. They all cultivated this low information voting base, and now you, you know. I, I heard someone say when Newt Gingrich was was attacking Matt Gates, Newt Gingrich is like the guy who pours radioactive waste into the lake, and then thirty years later is screaming at a three eyed fish. Yeah. <laughs> and ignoring that third eye on his own butt. But anyway, <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, is you're absolutely right. But the, the it, it all began 40 years ago, man. I mean, all of this is just 40 years of deconstruction, beginning with Ronald Reagan, leading to Newt Gingrich. It opened the door to everything that we have today. And it is completely dysfunctional. And I'm, I I make joke, joke in light of it, but I'm serious. The people that are running, if you've seen most of the people running around catching headlines down in the House on the Republican yeah. side, you would come to the obvious conclusion that you would never want them over to your house for a, an, a summer party and a barbecue. These people are loathsome in, some, in every conceivable fashion. They cannot make a decision. They can't. They can't stick to the same lie two days in a row. They can't give you loyalty when they have none. They can't legislate because they're too busy just trying to rule over the rubble. And after a while, it looks more and more every day like, you know, romper room, for those of us who remember romper room. I do, in fact. Uh, But in romper room, the kids had to behave, you know. Yes, but there's no adults in the room making them do it. You you nailed it. That's the point. (laughs) How much of this, Where are the adults in the room? Well, we learned in Donald Trump years, there was no adult in the room, maybe an adult film star, but no adult. Um, <laughs> well, there's guaranteed at least two of those. <laughs> and one of them who likes to do other things, you know, at uh, private theater showings. But we won't go into that. It's going to be worth it seeing how these Republicans exact their revenge on Matt Gates in the weeks and months to come. But, Brian, serious question. How much of this Republican civil war we're witnessing is about ideology? How much None of, of it is about personalities? Well, it, in so much as it, the ideology is to rule over the rubble, that's the only ideology. It's ruling for ruling's sake. 
It's ignorance. It doesn't. It, and it's for some of the younger ones, it's performance art. They have ceased being civil servants and they're merely they've watched too much reality television and believe they're reality TV stars and that their constituents are not constituents right. that they're responsible to, but they're fans to be right. used. And that's the that is one of the weirdest things I've seen in Congress in all the years covering. It's inevitable because our culture is that way. But you would think that in and <laughs> you think we would take this a little more seriously than we take entertainment, but apparently not. No, I mean, <laughs> once you've elected a reality show host to be president, don't be surprised when a lot of people who are like the evil cast members of Survivor show up and start working in the government. I mean, it's, it's, it's like the comment section came to life. Yeah, we saw that. That's what we actually, yeah, I mean, Marjorie, the reality star hangers on in the White House. Every season of Survivor has had someone exactly like Marjorie Taylor Greene and exactly like Matt Gates in the cast. I swear <laughs> to God, they weren't elected. They were they were cast in these roles. Exactly. But it's not it's not about it's not about any kind of politics. Right. It's not about, oh, right. my policies are this and I disagree with your policies. I mean, this is all about personalities and hatreds. And well, you, in you some cases, Republicans realizing how toxic the nominees for speaker are. I mean, Scalise would have well, been a know. fundraising. Go ahead, please. <laughs> no, no, they know they just don't want to deal with it. And and how right you are. I long between you, me, John, I, I'm, I'm maybe it's my age, but I'd long to walk into the Capitol and be able to discuss an issue of substance with someone rather than whether or not someone's blowing something out of their tuchus or someone else is running down the hall screaming and ranting and raving with their hair on fire. I long for that, but we don't get it. It's if you've never come and I tell people who, who ask me because, you know, I do get asked from covering Congress and, and, you know, the president, what's it like? And I would say that the last president was probably insanity, chaos in a blender. And yeah. now it's more normal. And it, at least there's a give and take, a professional take. But in Congress, that's descended to the same lunacy that I saw in the White House. And that's because Donald Trump is pulling the strings in the GOP House right now. And this right. is all his handiwork. So it's, uh, it's that. not unknown to me. It's very common. I'm used to it, but it's still a pain in the ass. Well, you're right. And I began the show talking about watch the chaos agents, because just as Hamas is sacrificing the people of Palestine, letting innocent civilians that they're supposed to be representing get mowed down because their goal is chaos. Their goal is to just like bin Laden. To, to trick the superpower into drawing more people into this and make it a worldwide conflagration. Um, we're seeing that in the House as well. They're just, like you said, trying yes. to see who's standing atop the rubble. But isn't the refutation of Jim Jordan this week twice a clear sign that Donald Trump isn't pulling enough strings and probably doesn't have the power to pull all the strings he needs? I mean, Jim Jordan well, is Trump's yes. boy, and he was voted down last the other day. And then today, 55 Republicans are saying they will never vote for him. Well, no, and a couple of things to your point. Um, yes, this is, without a doubt, in a, in a word, interesting. But, but, but more to the point, um, Jim Jordan is in trouble, but so is Donald Trump. Jim Jordan doesn't have the votes, but what you see out of Donald Trump with his inability to get his way as easily as he once could. And it's questionable whether or not, and, and it's probable that it's not going to be Jordan at this point. Things could yeah. change, God knows. But it, the way it's looking, 
it's a huge failure for Donald Trump who continues to fail. But the thing that you have to, that I keep telling people to be cognizant of is who's coming out right now ahead? Who's been speaking from the Republican Party that has, has, has it nailed? And so far, the only one I've heard is Liz Cheney, because she came out and said she didn't think Jordan would be the, the uh, Speaker of the House. And she also came out to denounce him ahead of and then others like Adam Kinzinger and then the others are falling in line. And I'm telling everyone I've said it. I don't I don't know what will keep him off the ballot. But Donald Trump's not going to be on the ballot. But the no. Democrats better watch out if a lane opens up and Liz Cheney slips in because she could be a danger for the Democrats. And I, yeah, I but just, at this, just at, but at this point though, if if the Matt Gates and the Nazi Clot Caucus can scuttle Kevin McCarthy, oh, that's true. There's then, no way right. Liz Cheney would ever no. have a chance. I, I'd like Liz Cheney to run because I'd like all these damn Democrats and liberals I know to remember what she's really made of. Just because she's yes. just because a Cheney, one Cheney told the truth about one thing, doesn't mean you're going to get in bed and agree with on anything. Liz Cheney no. is still awful across the boards. But who but they, who have they got, Mr. Cross, But she has crossed appeal crossover appeal and that's going to be dangerous if she were in now you're right if matt gates wins this and if jim jordan wins this she doesn't have a shot but if she's right and he doesn't get it and they have to go somewhere else where do they go and how do they get there because if if it's not jim jordan john what you're going to have to get what six or eight democrats at least maybe more and they won't do that unless there's concessions and the Two concessions that the Democrats want and need is that the government stays open November 17th because it doesn't look like it's going to right now. That's right. If they, That's right. they either won't have a speaker or if it's Jordan, it won't. You won't be open. The other That's thing right. is they want to guarantee aid to Ukraine. And the Republicans, if it's Jim Jordan, won't do that. And by the way, that's one of the reasons why some of the Republicans are against him, because they want to support Ukraine. So this is all it's, it's you know, like I said, chaos in a blender. And so if he's not the guy and, and I know uh, my sources have told me that Republicans, high level Republicans and Democrats are speaking now, even now about what's going to happen. So if they get concessions to get a, a, a cross po uh, uh, politics you know, speakers, one that's that's, you know, uh, amenable to both the Republicans and the Democrats. If they get that from the Republican Party, major concessions or will have to be given to the Democrats. But if the Democrats manage to get six to eight Republicans, then that's a different story. And but that here's my question about that, because I, I, we're hearing these these pipe dreams that what if some of these Republicans who are in districts that went double digits for Biden. There's like five or six of them. What if they got those guys to just go ahead and vote for Hakeem Jeffries and then the Republicans will still right. control the House, but Jeffries will be the speaker. But even if that were to happen, Brian, it doesn't mean the government wouldn't shut down in no. 35 days. No, you're, so, you're, you're absolutely right. With when, all this chaos, you, all this ongoing chaos, they can't even pick a speaker. When the government shuts down, how is Fox News going to blame it on Democrats, Brian? That's the question. It's going to be harder and harder to blame this on Democrats. Well, they already are. Remember, they're trying to blame uh, the Democrats and Biden for what happened, you know, in Ukraine and what's happened of in Israel and what's going on. But they, they don't want to give them the credit for the economy, but they want to blame them for high gas prices, which, by the way, exactly. is not controlled by the president. But nonetheless, yep. I know facts get in the way of this argument. So it really doesn't matter what the facts are. They'll find a way to go after him. The Democrats have to counter that. And that's where. You and I have talked about this before. The problem with the Democrats is they simply don't sell their message. 
and yeah. they want to blame the press for that, but it's on them too. And they're they're far too quiet. I can't tell you the number of days during the Trump administration, I'd walk down Pebble Beach, you know, on the North Lawn of the White House, and every single cabana would be filled with a reporter and someone from the administration making the rounds. You never see that in this administration. Wow. And they wonder why they don't get their word out. God, I, I I have to ask you, because you're you're one of the smartest guys in the room. I mean, what is the path forward for these Republicans? Are there any compromise candidates who makes sense oh. for these guys? Even even someone who's not serving. I mean, like a Liz Cheney or a Donald Trump, even though it'll never be one of those two people. But is there anyone that that this party can can compromise on? Boy, that's you know, that's the sixty four thousand dollar question right there, man. No, <laughs> no, there's you know, not. But I I don't know that they I don't know how far the down the road they're looking. That's the thing. When you look at this race, this is a this is just a mere component in everything else that's got to go on and in, in D.C. and is going on. And that little that it's it's like Bastogne in World War Two. It's the crossword roads where everything meets. So they've got to solve that problem before they can deal with anything else. And I don't see I, I know the Republicans don't see it. I, the Democrats don't see it, quite honestly. Everyone I've talked to, no one knows a true path forward at this point, which does not bode well for the operation of the House. Moderate Democrats in the House have offered to back um, uh, uh, Speaker Pro Tem Patrick McHenry, everyone's favorite yes. bowtie temp as a temporary speaker until the GOP gets their shit together. I, I mean, with enhanced abilities to work so they could do things like pass. Uh, you know, legislation <laughs> or limited legislation, including uh, funding and uh, backing, you know, like uh, Israel. They want to be yeah. able to pass that resolution. So they might give them some special powers to do it. But yes, you're right. Brian, the 24-hour evacuation deadline Israeli forces issued to the residents of North Gaza has passed. The IDF has already said they've begun limited special forces missions into Gaza last night. We should be expecting a ground invasion very, very soon. It looks like it's going to be an incredibly long, incredibly bloody campaign that will, I mean, I mean, it just seems like Hamas is getting everything they want. Today, Saudi Arabia said they're pausing their their peace deal with Israel. I mean, it just seems like Israel is going to respond just like George W. Bush responded and make things worse and lose all the goodwill he has right now. I don't want to believe that's going to happen. I want to believe that Hamas will release all these prisoners. But how did you feel when you heard the news last weekend? And how has that been for you watching all this unfold? Well, I have cousins that live in southern Lebanon uh palestine and israel so um i was glad to hear that they were all okay um and, and I, I hurt for all the innocent people that are involved in, in this conflict who want none of it and didn't ask for it and are on the receiving end of it from both sides that sucks we have insane people across the world running insane ways of ruling other people and we haven't advanced out of the hunter-gatherer tribal concepts that we adopted when we first crawled out of the caves. And it's evident in politics, geopolitics in every country, more so there right now. And the sad part about that is, is I felt horrible about it then and horrible about it now. And there's not a damn thing I can do about it except try to understand it. And that's not easy because covering it, um, there's a lot of disinformation, a lot of misinformation. And I spend more time these days 
just trying to verify facts in the Middle East than I do anything else, which is odd because for the last five years, it's just been body checking a president. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this week has reminded me so much of the first couple of weeks after 9-11, that, that sense of dread yes. I had that the worst people around the world were going to capitalize off this human disaster, off this unspeakable tragedy, that the agents of chaos will be using it to deflect from their own crimes, that people will commit new crimes for it, and that a lot and of bad people are... Yeah, and a lot of bad people are going to be really excited about it. I mean, everybody who's been all of these Republicans we've talked about for the last year and a half who have been pretending to be anti-war because they're pro-Putin. They pretend to be anti-war because they don't want to help the country Putin's invading. Well, right. they're showing their real colors and they can't wait to see some bloodlust again. Yeah, um, it's pro-Putin. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's why they have that in Ukraine and that's why they have it differently in Israel because at the end of the day, it's it's not anything except being pro-Putin or Trump or Putin or Trump or Putin. Take your pitch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a Reuters videographer was killed and several other journalists were wounded by an Israeli missile strike in Lebanon. So we're already at the point where journalists are getting killed in this conflict. And do you think it's going to go on as long as I fear it's going to go on for? I don't. I mean, I don't see a military solution to this, just like in Iraq. And we heard George W. Bush say today. Because there's an authority on bad military decisions. George Bush was saying a lot of folks want to see peace happen, and it's not going to happen, and it's going to ha last for a long time. I'm glad that guy decided to come out of his hole and weigh in. What yeah. are your fears, Brian? I, I share yours, and I will add to them. <laughs> Please. It's, the, it's what's going on. It's the expansion of the violence that threatens to engulf the entire world. First Ukraine, now the Middle East, all, all being started by Vladimir Putin. And until you recognize that fact, and until you recognize him as the enemy and not in any shape or form an ally, you're going to have trouble understanding the depth of the problem. So it's very difficult, as I said earlier, talking with members of Congress. This is but another reason why I find them to be childish, because they're playing games with this particular issue. Some of them telling you privately one thing and publicly another, and others not even understanding the issue. So what can I say? Throw my hands up in the air at that one. <laughs> well, let me ask you, I mean, what do you, what do you see as Putin's role being in this? Obviously, he's capitalizing off of it. He's giving the right wing their talking points by blaming Joe Biden for it. But, I mean, do you think Putin is actually involved in this? Who is the greatest destabilizing influence on the globe right now? Vladimir Putin, no doubt. Then there you go. Whether he's personally responsible or whether he's indirectly responsible, it doesn't matter. It's the result. You're and right. he'll take advantage of it. What about Netanyahu? Is this going to make his many, many, many corruption problems go away? Or is this just going to be a speed bump on the road to his eventual ouster? Boy, I mean, I this is the I guy who spent 20, spent 20 years telling us, I kept you safe, I kept you safe, I right. kept you safe. You got to reelect me. So <laughs> yeah. we see how well that worked out. Yeah. I kept you. Well, OK, maybe this one time I didn't. Yeah, I mean, that's he's got a big problem there but i don't know the extent not knowing that uh political situation as well as i know the one we're facing <laughs> i can right. only guess and I, I i should guess that it would be difficult for him but i don't know how difficult it's going to be for him i i suspect that no matter what happens to to him to netanyahu i think the 
the greatest results are going to be felt upon the populace in both uh, Gaza and, and, and in Israel. Just the Absolutely. guys trying to live their life. I think he'll end up okay. If I had to ask you right now who your pick for the Republican presidential nominee would be, which person blaming Joe Biden for giving $6 billion of American taxpayer money to Iran for nothing? <laughs> My God, Tim Scott. Like, Tim Scott yeah. is just... They're not even trying to get sane people anymore. They're not oh, even no, trying no, no. to get independence. They're just, they're literally all going for the most frothy at the mouth mag as they can find. Yes. Uh, Have you seen Ramaswamy's ad from the Canadian border? He's not even on the Mexican border. He's on the Canadian border talking about how easy it is to cross the border. I'm going, well, if you want to go to Canada, brother, go for it. We won't miss you. I, I'm sure there's some Canadians that won't, don't want to see you, but we'll be fine to see you goodbye. But yeah, I, I you're mean, correct there. There isn't one of them that isn't a complete whack job. The world has turned their attention to Israel and Palestine this week, but, you know, there's seven different criminal trials that are keeping their eyes on the prize here right now. The yep. Tiff James trial is ongoing in New York, and Trump's already been deemed guilty. They're only having a trial to see how much he should pay. Exactly the same with the E. Jean Carroll trial coming up. And then you've also got um, uh, Fonnie Willis's trial, which could start very, very soon. And then the two Jack Smiths and the don't forget the pyramid scheme trial Trump has starting in January. Like, <laughs> do you think he can get the nomination? It just seems like there's going to be <laughs> no, a don't. lot of embarrassment. You no, don't. I don't think he can. And, you know, I was there in the press conference when we were told by Dr. Uh, his, his wonderful Dr. Ronnie that he would live to be could live to be 200 and I yeah. have always said that even if he does live to be 200, I'll give him that. Okay, fine. I'll live to be 200. He's going to be in court every day of that until he dies because he's screwed, blued, and tattooed. And I still, I don't think he'll be the nominee. Not at all. I couldn't tell you who's going to be, though. I think there are too many plates spinning. It's like that, you know, the, the old Ed Sullivan show, the guy who keeps all the plates spinning. Some of them are going to fall. And there's going to be one that's going to be left standing. But I You're don't right. think it's going to be Tim Scott or Ramaswamy. No, but Ron DeSantis is sure hanging in there because they're pretty certain that the chips are going to fall a certain way. I'm still saying it's going to be Glenn Youngkin in a contested convention. That's that's my prediction on it all. And it terrifies me every time I say it out loud. Uh, well, there's many things that terrify me about the modern GOP, and that's just one of them. <laughs> Brian Karam, I'm always so happy when you can join us on the show. Thank you so, so much. You made me smile at the end of this gruesome week. What is the best way for our uh, listeners to follow you and keep up with all your work? Hey, the band's playing out tomorrow night. You can come see us. <laughs> but we're, playing. Why, we're playing in Gaithersburg. We're playing in uh, right in the heart of D.C. And I might have a special guest that I'll tell you about later that you know. But anyway, okay. so that, uh, that, but you can catch the podcast. It's called Just Ask the Question. Then the name of the book is called Free the Press. And then every Thursday in Salon. But yeah, Hershey's in Gaithersburg tomorrow night, baby. We're going we're gonna to rock and roll. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Mr. Karam. It's great to see you. Have a great weekend. Quick break. We'll be right back with your calls at 866-997-4748. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back. American Buffalo, the new PBS documentary from one of America's finest filmmakers, Ken Burns, is a story about an animal, the most majestic animal, the largest land mammal in North America. But of course, it is a story of people. The First Nations people who were totally entwined with the buffalo for over 10,000 years and 600 generations. And the European American people who have so far had about six or seven generations of responsibility for this land and this creature. It's the story of how very different people relate to the earth. Humans who try to live in harmony with nature and the humans who try to be the master of nature. And how sometimes our species is capable of learning and growing from our worst mistakes. It's a story about colonialism, capitalism, the rise of American environmentalism. It's different from his previous films, but like most of Ken Burns' work, it is a movie about beauty, history, destruction, redemption, and hope. What a pleasure to welcome back Ken Burns to SiriusXM. Thank you, John. Thank you, sir. I've been looking forward to this film for years. You mentioned this when you were here for Ben Franklin and Muhammad Ali and America and the Holocaust. Uh, I gotta say, I've rarely seen a film of yours that is both this disturbing and yet with such a joyful emotional catharsis i know you've worked on the project and wanted to make it for years but how did the story you tell of the buffalo experience form for you and your team well we have been as you suggest talking about it for more than 30 years we wanted to do something a standalone on the buffalo a biography of a beast rather than just the various biographies that we have and the constituent building blocks of our big series are also biographies, but something came in the way. We weren't able to do it. We either wasn't the bandwidth, but I'm really happy that we had this gap because it allowed the scholarship to improve. It allowed us, I hope, to be better filmmakers, but also for us to be willing, I think, to take what shouldn't be a risk, but to say that it would be possible to center this film with other people's points of view. You pay lip service to this all the time, but you don't really do it. And we're particularly patronizing when it comes to Native Americans, whom we think of as the only as as a single block, a monolithic block, when there are 300 nations in the continental United States. And there's no they, there's only us. Exactly. They're the original Americans. And how do you m permit Mandan, Hidatsa, Blackfeet, uh, Métis, uh, Salish, Kootenai, Comanche, uh, Kiowa to have a kind of equal footing, some of them being scholars in the film, and to tell this complicated story that is at heart an unmitigating tragedy and at the same time has... Uh, places of hope and the idea that that we could improve and all of American history is sort of bound up in this somehow this animal and its relationship particularly to native peoples just speaks volumes about who we are who we've been the crimes we've committed and also the possibility for redemption I was discussing this film with a friend of mine uh, from the Ojibwe Nation who was so moved by both the story and the representation of First Nations people. And you capture how it, the buffalo was so deeply ingrained in the spiritual life 
of the indigenous people and and their entire creation myth that they live by. And as you point out, the, the First Nations people used every part of the buffalo to care for each other. The European Americans used only the parts they could make a buck off of and threw out the rest. Uh, this is the story of the largest destruction of animals in the history of the human species, isn't it? From 70 million buffalo to literally almost none. Almost none. Yeah, it's it's on our watch, too, John. It's us. You know, there's yeah. no you can't can't like uh, wish this away. You can't pretend it didn't happen. You can't blame it on other people. This is this is us. Yes, the native people used everything we like to say from the tail to the snort, because as uh, Gerard Baker, the Mandan Hidatsa from North, what is now North Dakota says, you know, even the grunts and the sounds are going into the, the rituals. And so this is an animal that uh, that native people in exchange for killing and providing them with all the subsistence worshipped. So it isn't just material subsistence, it's spiritual subsistence. And can you imagine what it would be like for the various Plains tribes that were in proximity to this slaughter? The, essentially, they started off wanting the tongues, you know, they wanted buffalo robes, but eventually after the Civil War, leather, the fifth largest industry in the United States, needed the hides to run the belts in the new Industrial Revolution. They drove everything from looms to power this, to power that. And so the hide hunters went out. They called themselves hide hunters because it yeah. was, you know, they didn't want to slay murderers, went out and Correct. killed tens of millions of buffalo. And they just cut off the skin and left the head and the hot, the hooves and the horns. And, and more importantly, 800, perhaps 800 pounds of meat to rot on the prairie. And, you know, what happened is, as one of the Native American commentators, a scholar herself, Jermaine White, a Salish Kootenai said, you know, it's a twofer because people very quickly begin to understand in the second half of the 19th century, you kill the buffalo, you kill the Indian, yeah. right? You literally can control the native population. TR himself, not yet president, says this horrible thing that sums it up. He says, well, you know, it's sort of sad that the buffalo is going to go extinct, but it's, you know, seems pretty inevitable, but it's going to help us with our Indian problem as yes. we deal with white advancement. And so what you see behind it is the idea that the market attacks this animal and is going to drive it to extinction. But it has all sorts of other political, cultural, racist uh, things that attach to it that makes the, you know, it doubles the crime. You know, it, it makes it that much more um, sickening. It's one of the major gut punches of the first part of your film. I mean, this unholy twofer that the, the government was consciously and deliberately denying sustenance for Native peoples uh, for whom the buffalo was everything. And the plan was to let the buffalo go extinct to hasten our ethnic cleansing of the folks who were here first. Future President Garfield supported this. And Ken, this was this was out in the open, right? This wasn't a whisper campaign. This yeah. was policy. No, there's this is not wink, wink, nod, nod. This is not dog whistle stuff. This is, you know, um, there's not legislation, but people are openly talking about we're 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 um, signing treaties promising that we'll stay north of the Arkansas River. So all of you native people, Kiowas, Comanches, others can have the buff, the plentiful buffalo When the hide hunters kill all the buffalo north of the Arkansas. They go to the head of, uh, of Fort Dodge and they ask the colonel there, whatever his rank was, you know, what do you what should we do? 
And they said, well, if I were a buffalo hunter, I'd go where the buffalo are. So they cross over the Arkansas, treaty broken, whatever. It's happening all over the southern, the central and the northern plains. And uh, people are beginning to see that it can become uh, just just permitting this market slaughter to take place uh, has some political advantages if you're trying to control native populations. Once you want to fill up the, the you know, normally we spent the 19th century crossing the Great Plains to get to California for gold, to get to Oregon for farmland, mm -hmm. to get to Santa Fe for trade. But now we're suddenly realizing we've got lots of people and we're going to fill up all these places and there may be gold. So even the reservations themselves are carved up in the Dawes at Lotmanac. And, and there's this real kind of snake oil says, look, we'll give you 125 acres of farmland and 350 acres of ranch land, and then we're going to take the rest for white settlement. And what happens is, is that even the paltry, fairly, you know, second class land that not their homelands that have that they've been moved to, Native peoples are finding that that's slipping away from them, that's too. Right. And, you know, we've got a contemporary movie out by Martin Scorsese about the Osage Indians and the murder of the people. Why? Because there's oil and gas on their lands and we can't let them. They were for the time the richest Native tribe, but we can't let that happen. This has to be us. And it's so funny because at one point, George Horsecapture Jr. of a small tribe, the Anani in north central um, Montana that are in the Fort Belknap Reservation, you know, says my my cattle, my land. And all of a sudden you realize all of the momentum of centuries of our ideas and certainty about property have to at least be called into question. You have to think yes. about that because the whole idea and where where is property rights most virulent argument? It's in the Mountain West. But we reset. It's only after we reset and said it's ours does the property obtain. Right. It, it, there's no discussion of the people who for 10,000 years, as you say, uh, may have been it. They they did not consider most of them the sense of of possession, of deed, of property. That's right. For my property extends to that tree to that stone wall, to that barn, to that river. It was more sense of participating, as you said in your introduction, to be a part of nature, not above it and the master of it. And look what we've done. I mean, this is cautionary in every single way because this isn't just an isolated story from back then and it's not have anything to do with us and let's not teach our kids anything unpleasant. Exactly. And climate change is, is, the, is the, you know, is coming home to roost, right, in a yeah. big way. But that's the story here. I mean, it's mankind violating the garden and and risking being cast out forever. And it's that same story that we see played out in our history over and over again. At some point, one of your experts refers to the buffalo slaughter as, as a factory. Instead of assembling something, it was disassembling something. And it goes on to the, the when they discovered there was money in buffalo bones as well. Yeah. I mean, it's not an exaggeration to say that by the 1890s, millions of folks in America really believed the bison was already extinct. They didn't know there were any left at all. Yeah, and most people had only seen them if they were lucky enough to see them in books or maybe in a zoo. And, and all of a sudden, though, something happens. And there is the same impulse that pricks the conscience in the 19th century to create national parks. Boy, we're using it. Thomas Jefferson thought that the Lewis and Clark expedition had just charted land that it would take a hundred generations to fill up. And in three... People are saying, you know what, I think the frontier is closed. And there's this great American anxiety about what is our identity now? And what do they fall back on, on the symbol of us? The Native American 
and the buffalo on the Indian head nickel that was started in 1913, we're already beginning to romanticize, to fetishize, which are both outrageous, but also I think there's a sense of guilt and conscience involved in what we've done. And you see at that point, this big concerted national effort to try to save the buffalo. But as George Horsecapture says again, you know, he says, do you have a question for you? Do you have to destroy the thing you love? Yeah, which is like I mean, a profound human question. It, it it rises way beyond even this gigantic story of the buffalo into realms that my pay grade, you know, can't can't answer. But um, George really puts it to you. And then, you know, there's we've saved the buffalo. This is a parable of de-extinction. And yet it's there's lots of other questions that we Dayton Duncan, the writer and I and Julie Dunphy, the producer with me, um, we just sort of said, you know, maybe this is just the first two acts of a three act play. And that three act exactly. play will ask some important questions. You save the buffalo, but are you willing to create habitats, you know, ecosystems big enough so that the buffalo can roam again? Uh, that we could we could take the what is now the relatively silent monoculture of the Great Plains that used to be our American Serengeti filled with all this flora and fauna and put it back to that loud cacophonous Eden uh, to use your choice of words that 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 would be great, you know, but the film isn't an advocacy film. It's just saying as you ponder our collective responsibility for this, as you think about Americans, not in a narrow definition, but expanding to include all the people uh, that are engaged in this story, as you realize what it took to save the buffalo, are you willing to go another step further, or maybe even not that, what are you willing to do? What is it that you want of this Eden? I hate to disagree with you, but I do think that the film is an advocacy work. I think some of your best work are are works of advocacy for basic decency and, and wisdom. Yeah, that's true. And, yeah. I mean, you, you nailed it on the Buffalo nickel. It's something that baffled me as a child. And, and it's so well articulated here how we would romanticize these two different beings that we spent a century trying to eradicate from the face of the earth. And this I got to say, head scratcher. No, yeah. it's a head scratcher, John. It really is like, why, why did that happen? You know? Well, I, I must say I was amazed. Um, and I say this telling folks that this is a very uplifting film that will fill you yes. with, with pride and joy. But I was amazed, Ken, at how deeply upsetting the earlier parts of the film were. And I've talked with folks who were honestly, uh, more disturbed by part one of this film than by your excellent Holocaust documentary. And I kept trying to figure out why. And I think it's because we're prepared for the brutality of the Holocaust when we sit down to watch the film. But we're never taught what was actually done to this beautiful creature in this beautiful landscape. Yeah, I guess I guess there's some little you can't help by the selection and the order of things that the advocacy part is there and certainly in holocaust we're sort of saying don't become an autocracy don't 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 fall prey to dictators don't buy the stuff the emperor has no clothes democracy is messy and if you need order just wait a little bit it'll get a little bit more orderly but you don't want this the order that comes from authoritarian stuff and here i think it is that we aren't taught this and we're not prepared there's something very difficult to be confronted with our complicity in what is you know, an unspeakable tragedy, not just to the wildlife of this country, but to the native populations. 
Well, part two of American Buffalo begins with the growing conservation movement um, after America nearly drove this beast to extinction. And it's fascinating. It's moving and uplifting. And I was really surprised to learn that not all of these environmental motivations were coming from a place of goodness and altruism and morality. <laughs> yeah, no, I never thought after you and I talked about it a year ago that I'd have to deal with eugenics again, the oh. pseudoscience that suggests that there is a hierarchy of races, nationality and ethnicities and maybe even nationalities. When, of course, as you know, and your listeners know, there's only one race and that's the human race. And yet many of the people who were into the fetishizing of the Native American and the Indian had been very happy to see it brought to the brink of extinction and were involved in a conservation movement, which was essentially a, a sort of subculture of white supremacy. You know, we're yeah. saving this stuff because look what we've created and done. And it it really bypasses the contribution or the wisdom or the possibility to learn from Native peoples to really yield as we try to do as filmmakers in this case. And it won't account for the you know, the greed and 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 the sort of horrific political calculus that permitted the buffalo to be exterminated. And I think that's why it's difficult. And at the same time, you know, you could get through it. It's OK. Yeah. You could take a breath yeah. and go. This is other. we had to make it. I mean, we've spent years with this stuff, looking at the mountains of bones. And to me, you know, the, the, the statement, I think it's Dan O'Brien, one of the commentators that said that when they figure that the bones have value, it's like they've cleaned. They're cleaning up a, a crime scene. Yeah. Like the bones are so littering true. the Great Plains to remind us of this just wanton slaughter and the disrespect of the native uh, customs to use everything of the buffalo. We're leaving all of these hundreds of pounds of meat to rot on the Great Plains and the stench is terrible. And then we end up with these bleach bones and they make more money for the chemical industry. The, the largest industry in Michigan is the Detroit Carbon Works. I mean, yeah. you know, this is I, I, we this is a learning curve for us, too. You know, looking at the various farmers and the ranchers who, who privately tried to preserve bison life, it occurred to me in watching this that it seems like with most American progress from abolition of slavery to voting rights to, to LGBTQ rights, it always begins with these small individual stories that's that right. eventually grow into movements. And I think that's I the think greatest lesson of the film. I, I agree, too. And I think what's important is that we tend to look back and for our own simplicity to make it sort of easy to digest, everybody becomes one value. But what I like about this film is that almost every character has some movement. TR moves significantly. Uh, even William T. Hornaday, who probably subscribes to eugenics and, you know, he goes from killing buffalo and stuffing them to creating the National Zoo and the Bronx Zoo. I mean, he still remains a white supremacist, but, you know, he's got that movement. And and yeah. Charlie Goodnight, who's an Indian fighter and an and a buffalo killer, you know, becomes a buffalo saver and, and becomes Comes friends with Quanah Parker, who'd been fighting the white people for the extermination of the buffalo, and then tried to lead his people under a reservation and help them make the transition. You know, Michelle Pablo up in the near the Blackfeet reservation, and uh, uh, Fred Dupuis and Scotty Phillips uh, in the in the Dakota reservations in the Dakotas, saving herds for all the right reasons. Even William F. Cody. 
right? Yes, a yes. Celebrated killer of more than 4,000 buffalo, earning him his nickname Buffalo Bill, realizes that he's making a hell of a lot more money not killing buffalo to crews, putting on his Wild West show in the United States, back east and in Europe, and he needs buffalo. So he yeah. starts saving them too. And so you, for all these complicated reasons, um, the buffalo gets saved. And that's that's the headline. I got to say, the moral arc of Teddy Roosevelt's life is one of my favorite subjects to discuss, period. Uh, I mean, like I, like I can talk about classic rock or the Marx Brothers or Bob Dylan or Teddy Roosevelt's moral arc. And you've already made a pretty great film about it. The Roosevelt's might be my favorite of all your works. But in this film, oh, Ken, I so want to believe that he really changed this much as a conservationist. Do you... I hate to ask you a hypothetical, but do you think TR would be against big game hunting if he had lived longer and had experienced no, a mass no. extinction event? I think, I think we have to understand. It's a really super good question, John. I think we have to understand that the conservation movement is born among hunters who realize that the thing that they want to kill is going to go out of existence. So why don't we sustainably harvest them? Right. And that is something we've got to come to terms with because a lot of people in the conservation movement today find hunting abhorrent, but it's okay. We can coexist. So Teddy Roosevelt goes somewhere. I don't think he'd ever give up that. And I don't think he goes far enough. I don't think he ever abandons his sense Correct. that the white race is superior to the native race, but he can stay over at Parker's house and he can see the need to create a, a, a wildlife refuge in the Wichita mountains in Oklahoma near Quanah's place. And he can maybe, as Dayton says in the film, maybe it's just two old warriors respecting that. I don't think he ever lost the warrior thing. You remember, he sends his four sons off to That's war right. and loses his baby in World War One, And he dies. And you look at the oldest picture of him. He looks like he's 85. Exactly. He's 60. I'm 70. I mean, he's 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 burned out. David McCullough said he was an incandescent light bulb that burned brightly. I, I think maybe if he wasn't at that high RPMs, maybe he could have made uh, some progress. He made a lot of progress. And George Bird Grinnell helps him along in that. And he's a president without the war that he wanted. Thank goodness for the rest of us. Right. Amen. The yeah. war doesn't happen on his watch. And we're very lucky for that. And because he is very much into that noblesse oblige and white man's burden. And he's the one who puts the stamp of empire on the United States or gives it its imprimatur. But he's also understanding the role of government in a progressive way to be a, a balance between labor and capital. So yeah, I agree with you. He's endlessly, endlessly fascinating. But his his fifth cousin and his beloved niece are the bee's knees. They're the ones that really I mean, I don't know how, you know, she and T.R., you know, are always in constant motion because they say, as TR said, black care, capital B, capital C, can rarely catch up to a rider whose pace is fast enough, meaning in our lingo, you can outrun your demons. Yeah. FDR um, can't move. He can't move. He can't outrun any demon. And what does he do? He lifts us out of the Depression and through the Second World War, two of the three great crises in American history. No, it's 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 an amazing story. And I, I got to ask, what did you think, Ken, of the New York Museum of Natural History's decision to take down the Teddy Roosevelt statue, which I grew up so, seeing. I bike past it every day. And uh, yeah, it was yeah, part I, of our history. I, I, 
I no think problem. I was in that place initially in that place, like, oh, come on, don't need to go that far. And then I remember what the statue is. And it's got, you know, it's got at his feet adoring, you know, black children and Native Americans. And so there is all of that stuff that is is very much part of the white supremacy that's so important for us to begin to try to dismantle if we're going to have a peaceful, peaceful earth. And so I think it, to contextualize him is is super important. He's a very, very important president. He's a very, very important person in terms of the national parks and conservation. He's a very, very, I mean, just lights up page after page of biography. Yeah. And he's got lots of undertow. And that's what your movies are about. Before I yep. let you go, really quick, book bannings, laws that now allow any citizen to sue any school for any teacher teaching any history they don't like. This is the 21st century. How do we break that cycle of repressing the bad parts I, of history for the fragile among it, us? I, I think there's always, you know, Jefferson said in the Declaration, all experience has shown that mankind are disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable. He's saying that, you know, we've spent all of human history under the boot of an authoritarian and we've kind of put up with it. We've suffered those evils and we're going to create something new, despite the contradictions in his own lifetime of, of declaring universal human rights and owning hundreds of human beings. So we're going to try something new and it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to require not a peasantry, but a citizenry. And if you want to be a citizen of the United States, you got to understand that not every book is going to be your cup of tea, that yep. nobody is harmed by understanding that there's undertow and contradiction and controversy, that in order to be exceptional, you have to be rigorously self-critical and self examining you don't stay that way and if you do that if you don't do that it is a one-way ticket to mediocrity ken burns new film for pbs is the american buffalo make sure you tell everyone you love to watch it it is one of the best films of the year ken thank you so much for joining us and for making this film. thank you john great to see you great to be with you thank you we'll be right back okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. We're a few days past Indigenous Peoples Day, but I had this great quote from Kurt Vonnegut I wanted to share on Indigenous Peoples Day, and suddenly World War III breaking out distracted us. But um, in Breakfast of Champions, Vonnegut wrote, Actually, millions of human beings were already living full and imaginative lives on the continent in 1492. That was simply the year in which sea pirates began to cheat and rob and kill them. My thanks to Ken Burns for a terrific conversation. Do yourself a favor and watch both parts of The American Buffalo. And please, 
If you watch the first part, you got to watch the second part because the first part is devastating. I can't warn you enough. And the second part is so uplifting. My God, you'll you'll just feel like such an emotional roller coaster. I, I guess the way Lindsey Graham feels every day. Here's some good news. UAW President Sean Fain said in a terrific speech today that the union's going to shift their strike strategy by making its walkout plans less predictable and more financially painful for the big three automakers. He didn't expand the work stoppage right away. He said, we're not messing around. A negotiation requires both sides making movement. If they're not ready to move, then we're going to give them a push in a language they understand, dollars and cents. Not for nothing, Joe Biden, but it wouldn't be bad for you to be seen on this picket line again. And maybe with the nurses, too. And maybe a lot of picket lines over the next year. America's working people could really use a president who's on their side. And your voters could really use seeing you getting out there and showing that you are much more able-bodied than <laughs> Darth Jabba. Next weekend, be sure to get your pay-per-view. Watch me and Stephanie Miller, Hal Sparks, and Frangela with Ron Perlman and Rob Reiner for the Sexy Liberal Show 2023. Go to meathook.com slash live or sexyliberal.com. It's going to be a party. This is Sirius XM Progress. Progress.